and welcome to Everyone's a Critic. I'm Samuel Hunt. I'm Joe Stevens. And yeah, welcome back. Yeah, so um, we both might kind of sound or look a bit awkward in this one because this is we're trying something new this time. We're filming it. Yeah. We're going to see what that what that's like. You know, yeah. if it gets more reach, if it gets more of your you know your dear listenership. Mm-hmm. Um, it could backfire on us. It could backfire on us hugely. Um, Faces for the radio and all that. Yeah, despite me bringing the camera, I was just reminded by Sammy, like, oh yeah, I hope you think you're looking good for this. I was like, oh, god damn it, just on, on the way here. Half an hour in the makeup room. Yeah, half an hour, three hours, you know. But, but, but uh, we all have a different routines. But uh, we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be posting the whole video or the whole thing. We're just going to be posting um, a clip, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the normal teaser clip that we do, uh, we're going to be posting video uh, to accompany that. And, you know, depending on how it goes, uh, we may post more on our YouTube page, um, you know, in the future. But yeah, you can find that clip on our Facebook page. And if you like it, please share it. That'd be great. That would be fantastic. Please, you win, please share it. You'd win, uh, what, Everyone's a Critic t-shirt? Yeah. Those Wait. are a thing that we have produced already. Yeah, the and on, already, the post. Yeah, yeah, ready to ship out. To, Sharers. Yeah. Okay. Sharing is caring, people. Oh, God. Um... <laughs> Right, okay, so how, how's the last fortnight in film been for you? It's been good. We, we packed a lot in in the last time, basically. Yeah, yeah, um, no, we did, yeah. Because we had to record it a bit earlier, even though you know it came out a bit later because I was um, often a merry adventure in Scotland. That's right, yeah. Um, no, but it's, it's been good. I've seen some really quite varied films. I've, I've rewatched a film as well. Yeah, I've, re-wa- I've done a bit of rewatching. Rewatched mm. the Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, what a film. About twice. Is it you're still your favourite Jennifer Lawrence performance? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just... I love her enough. I mean, it's my favourite Jennifer Lawrence performance as well, but, you know. I mean, I've seen all the Hunger Games now as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she is she is great in the Hunger Games, but she, she just really encapsulates that character so well in Silver Lines Playbook. And there's something about the emotional connection that you're able to form with her and, you know, the emotional connection you feel between her and Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I think it's... Um, she's just kind of a force of nature almost in that film really yeah yeah and it's interesting as well because she's one of those actresses that when I see her in interviews and stuff yeah she, I'm not as taken with her as I am with some other actresses which I think just speaks volumes of how great she is as an actress mm. you know she's not it, it, she's one of those actresses that it looks like she's playing herself but she's not playing herself do, do you know what I mean no definitely rather than Kristen Stewart who yeah, usually is playing herself and, you know, she's the same person in and out of interviews. So in a way, you made the point before, is it really acting, do you know what I mean, if she just goes out there and plays this character every time? Whereas with Jennifer Lawrence, it really, it, it's, it's an amazing performance, but at the same time, you don't feel like you're watching a performance, you feel like you're just watching someone, you know, in a real life situation. Yeah, you just feel like you're watching that character and you're totally invested in that character. Exactly. And, uh, you know, created back history. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, especially in that, and as you, you know, in that film when you slowly uncover her, and do you think like, is that your kind of favorite Bradley Cooper performance, or is um, Place Beyond the Pines? Is that still your favorite? Place Beyond the Pines, yeah, one of my favorite films of all time. Um, really underrated. Um, Two thousand and I think it was two thousand thirteen. Um, yeah, 2000, I think it was two thousand thirteen. Two thousand thirteen yeah. film starring Bradley Cooper and Ryan Gosling, sort of an epic. Um, two-hour-plus film in three parts um, with just such terrific performances by those central characters and also uh, 
Eva Mendes is fantastic in that. Um, I would highly recommend it. So that probably is my favourite Bradley Cooper performance. But uh, but thinking back to Silver Linings Playbook, it, you know, it's a, it is a romantic comedy, and with a genre so littered with terrible films, I mean, as we will learn later today, as we will learn later today when we do Mother's Day, um, you know, it, it might be my favourite romantic comedy. You wow, know, thinking it's better thinking than Notting it. Hill, better than Four Weddings. I think Four Weddings. Four Weddings is is. Well, I think rom-coms fall either side. I mean, some are more romance than comedy, yeah. some are more comedy than romance. I mean, yeah. Four Weddings is one of my favourite comedies. It's yeah. just, I, I laugh throughout the film. But in yeah. terms of the central relationship between Hugh Grant and... Um, uh, Annie McDowell. Annie McDowell. You know, it's not something you get hugely... No, because you hate her so much. She, she is quite annoying. She is awful. And it's, it's a pretty bad performance as well. Yeah. Um, so so that I, I find that funnier... But then I think in terms of investment in characters, uh, Silver Lines Playbook is fantastic. I mean, even, you know, Robert De Niro, great performance by him. Chris Tucker, mm-hmm. using Chris Tucker, what he's good for. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, honestly, like a really good Chris Tucker performance. A revelation. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Who would have thought it? Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen it, what have you been doing? Um, you know, just load it up on the computer and watch it. It's, Once you've obviously paid for it or found it on a... Yeah. Uh, you know, prepaid subscription service. Exactly. We would never advocate piracy. Never. Ever. Um, so coming up in the show, yeah, you've been to see Marnie, when Marnie was there? Yeah, when Marnie was there. Um, I saw that earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, um, at the Crouch and Picture House. Always be repping you. Always Please repping. sponsor us. Yeah, we'll, we'll, put in, we'll put in an application for sponsorship this weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, and well, I, I've seen two films in the cinema actually in the last week because I went to see The Nice Guys, new Ryan yeah. Gosling, Russell Crowe film. Yeah, uh, I would recommend it. I think it is funny, and I think uh, the plot works as well. I think a lot. I of heard Ryan things. Gosling's very good. He is. He is funny. I mean, for me, the jury's still out on him as a comic actor. I mean, I I thought he was funny in The Big Short, and mm-hmm. I think he's funny in this, but. It's so difficult, I think, when you've watched him play characters like the one he plays in Place Beyond the Pines and Drive, where mm-hmm. it's a very serious performance, and um, sort of that brooding air that he has, do you know what I mean? Mm. To, to, to then be watching him sort of cracking jokes and stuff, I think he's still finding his feet with that, but I mm. think this is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, I was really excited about it, it didn't make me laugh as much as I wanted it to, but I was still, I was still yeah, I would, I would recommend it, definitely. Yeah. I rewatched Ratatouille in the past fortnight. Yeah, you were saying that. Yeah, uh, so I, I watched it when it first came out in the cinema. And I wasn't kind of really that enamoured by it. I was quite, I don't know, I was kind of, I guess I must have been 12, 13 or so. Mm. Um, and, you know, I love Pixar, but I wasn't hugely keen on it. I rewatched it and I actually, I really enjoyed it. I think it might be, you know, up there with one of their better films. Right, okay. Um, I've never even seen it. Have you not seen it? Oh, no. I'd, I'd recommend it. I don't know if it's a film about, you know, a rat. a rat who's actually a fantastic chef and teaches this um, young kid who works in a kitchen who isn't a great chef to cook. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that's the, the basic plot premise. But who, who, who voices the rat? Um, Is it a famous person? It may be. I can't remember off the top of my head now, but we'll, we'll look it up and yeah. we'll let you know later in the show. Yeah, okay. But, you okay. know, I'd, I'd recommend it. on. It's, I think it's a film on second viewing, I think. Yeah. yeah. holds up really well. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll check that out, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm a big Pixar fan, Yeah. so um, I wasn't, I didn't know if it was one of their better ones or one of their not-so-good ones, so mm-hmm. yeah, worth a, worth a look. Okay, cool. So, uh, coming up 
directly now we've got uh, my review of Mother's Day, which I saw this afternoon. Um, you've all seen the posters, and we we touched on it last week, uh, last fortnight as yeah. well. So looking forward to that. And Joe's review of when Marnie was there. Then it's back to Marmite movies for the critically acclaimed Goodwill Hunting. Um, look forward to that. I know a lot of people who I've spoken to can't believe that one of us is going to be attacking it. Um, so one of us is going to lose a few friends this evening, I would say. And we also have When We Were Kings, which is the Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, Rumble in the Jungle documentary. Yeah, yeah, I thought, you know, particularly uh, prescient. Absolutely. Um, so, stay tuned, guys. See you in a minute. Coming up, Ash Wednesday. Sorry. <laughs> Mother's Day. <laughs> And welcome back to Everyone's Critic. So, um, we touched on this film last show, Mother's Day. We said it could turn out to be a work of genius and that we shouldn't prejudge it. Yeah, so Samuel decided to put his laptop where his mouth, sorry, his money where his mouth is. Money where my mouth was. And, you know, check it out because I felt kind of bad, you know? I didn't want to be prejudging films. I didn't want to be saying that something's going to be terrible when I haven't even seen it. I don't, think yeah. people, I don't think people should do that. Give Gary Marshall a chance. Exactly. So, Gary Marshall directed Pretty Woman back in the 90s. Classic. Big hit, classic, you know, really good film. Um, with Launched the career of um, Julia Roberts, as everyone knows, and, you know, Richard Gere as well. Since then, has been on a little bit of a downturn. It's a real downturn in the early 90s. Yes, <laughs> 20-year yeah, downswing. Yeah. With films like The Princess Diaries, um, New Year's Eve, um, uh, what was the other one? Um, Valentine's Day? Valentine's Day. I mean, Princess Diaries definitely has its market. You know, I think for what it is, Princess Diaries is, mm. is you know, I haven't seen it, but it's, it's perceived to be pretty good for what it is. I mean, I think this is one of the central problems with this film, is who, who is the market for this film? And mm. to be honest, to say that anyone is the target market for a film like this is frankly an insult to whoever that market is. To humanity. To, it, yeah, but especially saying, oh, you know, this film is meant for you know, women, this film is meant for mothers, I think, you know, when we talk about what is actually in the film, um, that is just, fr- quite frankly, quite rude to that target market. Um, so it's... Ensemble cast, Kate Hudson, Julia Roberts, Jennifer Anderson, Jason Sudeikis, um, Britt Robertson. Sad to see her in this because I really liked her in um, The Longest Ride and the first time, you know, she plays young, she plays, you know, girls in love quite well. Mm. And it's just a shame that she's in this, as with Julia Roberts. But I think the problem with Julia Roberts being in it, um, I remember when she was in Valentine's Day, I think it was, or it might have been New Year's Eve, there was some story that she'd been paid sort of $5 million to to appear for two minutes or something. So really, I don't feel sorry for her, like I said last fortnight. You know, part, this is partly her fault. Yeah. Why is she doing this? Other she's than, read the script. Other than for the money and the fact that she has a friendship with Gary Marshall. This... When you read this script, I mean, seriously, there is no excuse for being in this film. The proof is in the mm. in the script. It's just, mm. it's it's horrible. Do you, well, do you know, know what I mean? Maybe she felt she's like she got her acting chops out of the way with Money Monster. 
Yeah, but that's yeah, why well. make a film like that and then go out and go and make this? I mean, it just beggars belief. So mm. I, you know, I have no sympathy for her actually. I think she's partly responsible. It's been it, this film has been worked out by people sitting down with a spreadsheet and saying, okay, you know, if we put her in it, if we put this guy in it, if we put you know this woman in it, then we'll make X amount of money. And that's Films by spreadsheet. Films by spreadsheet. And you know, Love Actually, much as I love it, you know, has a lot to answer for. It's responsible for films like New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day. What was ensemble cast? Yeah, big ensemble cast with a lot of stars. And also the structure, all these different intertwining lives leading up to one event. I mean, Love Actually was insanely um, successful. Mm. And, but it was also a, re- a really good film. I really enjoyed Love yeah, Actually. Yeah, it's a lot of people's guilty pleasure. Uh, but it's, yeah, for me, it's not even a guilty pleasure. I mean, I think it's a genuinely funny. has some good performances mm. in it. Um, and in terms of its structure, a little bit all over the place. But, I mean, I'm telling you what, this film, Mother's Day, makes Love Actually look like the most well-structured, coherently written film ever made. It's seriously, all over the place. People talk about Mother's Day in this film like it's fucking Christmas or something. Seriously. Like, who ever talks about... who? You know, who talks about Mother's Day two weeks before it happens and stuff? And, like, are you getting ready for Mother's Day? I mean, maybe it's a big thing in the States, but here, you know, sorry, just no one does that. So already the film is just trying to make something really big out of Mm. a day that... You know, I'm not trying to belittle it. You know, it's a day that means a lot to a lot of people, but mm. it's not like a, it's not a big holiday, is it? Do you no, know, do no you know it's a mean? day where you get a card and you get a present and you appreciate your mum for yeah. what she's done for you. With your family. Yeah. You bang on about it to all your friends. And yeah. Oh, God. So anyway. Should we play a clip? Yeah, so let's, so let's play a clip. The, the plot, I mean, there's just plots all over the place. Jennifer Aniston is a mum of two sons. Um, her ex-husband is going out with this hot young girl um and then Britt Robertson is an orphan who doesn't want to marry Jack Whitehall because she has commitment problems you know also because she's Britt Robertson Wait, Jack Whitehall's in Jack this? Whitehall's in it we'll, we'll talk about I'll talk about him in a okay. minute. anyway this anyway this is a clip of um Jennifer Aniston going to Julia Roberts who's a advertising executive and trying to get a job as an interior designer one more these are contest winners, only they get pictures. I'm, I'm actually not here for a picture. I'm here to show her into this. Fine. Is they here? No, but it's actually... Hey, hey. How cute. Mm-hmm. Very Marina. sweet. Sorry. Very sweet. Congratulations. I'm not, I'm not a contest winner. Oh, then why am I hugging you? I'm sorry. I'm late. I'm here for the interview. Oh, we're not doing any press. Oh, oh no, no, I'm not interviewing you. I'm, you she's interviewing me. I need to calm down. I'm not here for a photograph. I'm here for a job. Oh, you must be Sandy. Yes, I'm Sandy. Yes. I'm, well, you missed the design meeting. Miranda's a very busy person. Oh, really? So. Is Miranda busy? Well, I would have been here on time if my ex-husband hadn't married a tween, or if my, my doctor had called in my child's asthma medication, or if my mother mobile went faster than four miles per hour on the freeway. But I understand it. I get it. Her time is very valuable, and she's very busy. My time is not. My brows on inside out. There you go. First world problems. I mean, you know, Jennifer Anderson, can I just point out, her character lives in, you know, obviously a massive suburban house in a leafy suburb. Um, you know, she's got a big SUV, but, you know, her bra's a bit tight or whatever. So, first, well, first world problems. Them, call them first world problems, you know, it's not, you haven't been a mother. But, just uh, just from Jennifer Anderson's, not Jennifer Anderson, Julia Roberts' bob is really annoying me. Yeah, her hair is ridiculous in this film. Yeah. Um, you know, and when that's annoying you, then, you know, you know something's wrong. Yeah. So, 
This is the problem with it, really. It's it's completely just all surface. I mean, there is just nothing underneath anything. Do you know what I mean? Let me give you an example. Britt Robertson's character is goes to Kate Hudson's character and says, "Oh, I'm, I, I I don't want to marry Jack Whitehall because." Because why? He's Jack Whitehall. Because he's Jack Whitehall. Why would you want to marry Jack Whitehall? Yeah. No, I don't want to marry Jack Whitehall because I was an orphan as a child. And she, and then she says, she actually says, I have aban- abandonment issues. That's what she just says. She just, so there's no sort of show, not tell. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I have abandonment issues. And then Kate Hudson says, oh, you know what you need to do? You need to go and find your mother and then you'll solve your abandonment issues. And then she's like, yes, I do need to go and find my mother and solve my abandonment issues. And then she goes off to find her mother to solve those issues. And then, you know what, she finds her mother and she solves the issues and, you know, what do you think happens next? Jack Whitehall's performance is honestly, it's, it's, it's the only thing that's worth watching the film for. It's honestly one of the worst performances I think I've ever seen, ever, in oh, any movie. no, Jack. I, I don't particularly like Jack Whitehall anyway, but he plays a stand-up comic in the film, yeah? He plays like a bad stand-up comic in the film, so that's probably the only believable, you know, performance Ooh, in it. Oh, shots fired. Then, so he plays this character, and then he also has to do these really sincere moments with Rick Robinson, and he genuinely, he's, he's, he's saying things like, you know, I want to marry you, but I can't wait forever. And, you know, I love you, but I'll have to let you go. And it, it's they are delivered like that. And you just keep expecting the director to say, cut, you know, or them to just announce that they've shown an outtake by mistake. It's really, really bad. Like, really bad. I don't know how he's... That's unfortunate. I don't know how he's broken into, you know, acting in Hollywood. Because, you know, for all the faults of the film, you know, the actors and actresses in this, you know, they're, they're all right. You know, it's, they're not disastrous. But he's, he's good in fresh meat. Yeah, yeah, okay. Fresh meat's all right, but I mean, then you know, bad education movie. You know, that was a that was a low point, mate. So there's also this other plot going on with Kate Hudson and her husband, who's an Indian fellow. Kate Hudson's mother is like really racist, and always lines up for good comedy. Yeah, so nothing I love more in a rom com than, than a racist mother. Than a racist mother, yeah. And this and this is this is what happens. So the racist mother is making jokes, you know, saying, oh, "I can't believe you're, you know, married to this Indian guy." Um, and you know, is is he the butler or something in your house? You know, that's what she thinks he is. Classic. Anyway, and then she, and then through a weird sort of plot device, she ends up on a Skype conversation with. Um, Kate Hudson's mother-in-law, the in, so the Indian mother, and uh, the Indian mother says, "Oh yeah, I was really disappointed when um, my son married a white girl," and Kate Hudson's mother says, "Oh yeah, I was really disappointed when my daughter married an Indian guy." And then they're just, and then and then they bond over the fact that they're racist. I'm not joking. They have then a connection because of that, and they turn out to be really good friends. Together, and then every. Yeah, togetherness through discrimination. But no one says, like, later on, oh, you know, we, we probably, sh- you know, should change our views or something. There's, you know, it's like, you can't be serious. You, you cannot be serious. You cannot have just made this film, you know, and put that in there so without was... then providing some kind of, you know, some kind of, I don't know, I don't know redemption for... But you just had your John McEnroe moment. You cannot be serious. You cannot be serious, man. I mean... Yeah, so it's just bizarre. I mean, it, morally, it's just all over the place. I don't know. It's, you know, I don't know if it's meaning to be really offensive. I did, you know, I did find it offensive because I just think that um, films that try and 
I don't think it's offensive because it's trying to be something that because you yeah. would happily defend scary movie. Yeah, but that's that's just stupid, and and it knows you know, it's stupid, and it knows it's stupid. This thinks it's being clever, and it thinks it's being, you know, all sugar coated and nice, and it's not. It's just really, really repulsive, and you know, as you said, I don't know who this film is made for because I don't think its portrayal of women is. Um, accurate i don't think it's particularly favorable i mean all the women in the film seem to be defined by their relationships with the men in their lives do you know what i mean <laughs> like jennifer anderson's character is just constantly obsessing about her ex-husband you know and this is supposed to be a film celebrating motherhood and celebrate you know celebrating women and it just really does not seem to be doing that at all it's a really it gives a really grim view of the world and you know, it's a film, think about this, it's a film in which all the cast are white, apart from one Indian guy, where the plot line is that there's a mother who's racist <laughs> against this guy. Seriously. That's all white, yeah, when you put it's that a, It's yeah. an all-white cast, and they're all going, you know, it's just, well done, well done. You know, there's, there's so much backslapping and, so you know, just reaching the... behind and, and slapping their own backs and just saying... You know, really good job, guys. You know, and they all feel they. You know, the cast obviously feel like they're doing their bit, don't they? So there's wait. So there's the stressed out single mother. There's the career woman, and there's the racist old lady. Yeah. And well, those are the three types of women that exist in the world, Samuel. So it sounds pretty accurate to me. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Kate. Well, I don't understand how pretty woman can be such a, a moving and interesting portrayal. Um, and this is. Well, I think maybe Gary Marshall just had a really good script, and he's not a good. You know, the problem in this film is the script. He didn't, you know, he didn't write the script. He didn't mm. write the script for Pretty Woman. Mm. But then again, why is he helming these kind of films? It's it's awful. You know, it's not a film. No director could have made this script good. Don't get mm. me wrong. But why is he? If he could make Pretty Woman, which, as we've said, is is a really great film, mm. why would he choose to take on a project like this? You know, and and it is trying to copy that Love Actually thing, mm. but Love Actually has a lot of heart, and this just has absolutely no heart. It's probably because the shall we call them the holiday trilogy, the New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day, hmm. Mother's Day. They're running to, out for, of holidays. To, to make to have made three of them, they probably make a bunch of money, and they're like, oh, Gary Marshall can direct these to a standard where mindless droves will go watch them to switch off for an hour and. But it is switching. Feel, it's, feel it, faux, fuzzy inside. It's, it's there's no fuzziness at all. I don't see how anyone. I really, really, really don't see how anyone with a beating heart could have any fuzziness at all watching this film, other so, than the fuzziness of nausea and wanting to run to the bathroom. I mean, it is, and also, you know, so they have all those horrible, you know, frankly, I think offensive, um, offensive portrayals of women, and you know racist stereotypes they have all those in there but then swimming in all of that is this massive big glob of chocolate covered sort of uh sentimentality you know it's it's like you know that kid who falls in the pond at willy wonka's chocolate factory and he's covered in mm. chocolate that's what i felt like it, you know you feel like you're drowning in you know it's cheap emotion cheap sentiment you you never feel anything in it but then the characters on the the characters are all they're trying to do is make you, you know, it's just throwing out these faux sentimentalities, and it's really, um, it's really difficult to watch, to be honest. So, how many thumbs up would you would you say? I, I think I genuinely think it's the worst film I've seen in the cinema in the last five years. Wow. Yeah. 
The worst film that we've reviewed on here? Oh, 100%. It, it, it is. Because Alvin and the Chipmunks is probably the second worst film we've done on here. And that... How much better is Alvin and the Chipmunks? Alvin... <laughs> Alvin and the Chipmunks is... You know, I would happily while away another couple of hours watching Alvin and the Chipmunks. I mean, that's the other thing. It's 120 minutes long. Oh, Jesus. This, <laughs> it goes on and on and on. And every time they set in motion a plot line, you're thinking, oh, for God's sake, how long is it going to mm. take for them to play this one out? Do you know what mm. I mean? And as I said, it's just all over the place structurally. None of it comes together. You know, it, it ends. The last... This, this probably sums it up. The last shot of the film is the Indian mother-in-law and the white mother, who are now friends, taking a selfie. And the mother-in-law says, oh, hold it up a bit so that we don't look fat. And then the credits roll. And Gary Marshall's name appears. And I throw my beer can at the screen. That's a pretty outrageous thing to do in the cinema, Samuel. I know. I, I got kicked out for that. No, I mean, seriously, I... Watch it online illegally. Don't give it any money. Watch it online illegally for Jack Whitehall's performance and just go to that Is bit. it so bad? It's so bad. So it's not even... So bad it's good? It's not so bad it's good. It's just oh. so bad it's bad. It's really, really, wow. really bad. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll show you a clip of it. Yeah. No, uh, please. I'll, I want to see this. I, I like it's so one. bad. Um, so, yeah. So, no, I really enjoyed it, actually. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, coming up next, when Marnie was there... Yeah, look forward to that. Welcome back to Everyone's a Critic. Welcome so, you know, just a few hours ago, after work, I'm way back here, I'm to see the latest Studio, Studio Ghibli film when Marnie was there. Um, so I haven't really seen that many Studio Ghibli films. It's kind of regarded as the kind of the Japanese Disney. Um, it's the first I've heard of it, to be honest. Well, Studio Ghibli. Have you heard of Spirited Away? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. so that, that's Studio Ghibli. Mm-hmm. Um, Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Um, that's supposed to be really My Neighbour Totoro. Howl's Moving Castle. So these, I mean, uh, these names mean something to me. I mean, yeah. they, they seem to be all quite critically acclaimed. Yeah, no, they definitely are. And, uh, you know, anime in the West has a big kind of cult following. Um, but Studio Ghibli is something that has kind of quite a mainstream following Yeah. Uh, in the West. And it's seen as kind of Japanese Disney in the way that animation in Japan um, is, you know, often, um, you know, something that adults enjoy as well. Um, but no, this is definitely for kids, but in the way that kind of Pixar is for kids, but also with a lot of Pixar films, adults get a lot out of it as well. Yeah. Um, so this is the latest one, and apparently rumoured to be one of the last ones. So most, yeah. Why, is the studio closing down? I don't know. It's, yeah. Wow. Odd. Um, Quit while you're ahead. Apparently, yeah. To, uh... Should have said that to Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> After Friends. Yeah, last, last episode of Friends, just scrap your career. Yeah. <laughs> Retire <laughs> on the million dollars an episode you got. Yeah, at least, yeah. yeah. Um, so, it's, you know, rumored to be their last film. And most of their films were directed by a guy called Miyazaki. Whereas this one's actually um, directed by a... I'm going to have to bring it up again because I can't remember his name. We looked at it before, but it's... Uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. It's uh, Yonobayashi. That sounds, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. So it's a story of uh, a teenage girl who lives in kind of, you know, 
medium-sized Japanese city, and you get from the very get-go, um, you can tell she's very introverted, very shy, could probably be quite hard to get along with, and has pretty bad asthma, and she has you know, an asthma attack early on in the film. And uh, the doctor recommends that, you know, maybe it's better for her just, you know, for a summer to kind of move to the country where the air is a lot cleaner and see if her asthma attacks die down. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also suggests maybe it's, you know, asthma attacks can also be brought on by stress. And she has that kind of very emotionally vacant uh, thing that, you know, a lot of teenagers have, and, you know, teenage girls sometimes especially. Christian Stewart kind of thing. Kind of a Christian Stewart kind of thing. Um, so, you know, she goes off to, uh, you know, her, she's with her adopted mother and she's kind of sent um, to live with her, you know, just for a few months or so. You know, Sorry, the, the, the time period. So the version I saw, just because of time restrictions, was English language dubbed. Right. But at the picture house, they're showing both subtitled and dubbed. Okay. Um, you know, ideally, I probably would have liked to see the subtitled one, but... Honestly, I didn't feel the uh, experience was harmed at all by the dub version. Okay, cool. At all. Okay. You know, brilliantly voiced. Um, so she goes and lives off with her aunt and uncle in the country um, and goes on, you know, what I, I say the phrase and it sounds really cliched, but is basically, you know, a journey of self discovery. Yeah, no, you you read my mind. You knew exactly. What I, I knew was about where to you say. were going with that. Knew exactly where I was going. But then we've seen films. You know, some of the best films are self-discovery films. Yeah, I'll, spectacular I'll you, now. Yeah, the yeah. best films are self-discovery films. Absolutely. When, you know, you find something about herself. So you know, Marnie, not Marnie. Uh, it's got Anna. Um, sees this big mansion or marsh house, as everyone refers to it, uh, across the lake. You know, kind of the it almost looked kind of like a Scottish lock almost. Um, that's abandoned, and uh, you know, rumours have it ghosts are sometimes there, and it kind of it seems to come on a bit, lights seem to switch on. So she goes and investigates, and I won't ruin the plot any more than that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's good to go in with knowing as little as possible, just the setup really. Yes. Um, and it goes on from there into a kind of fantasy vibe. Yeah, kind of a fantasy vibe, but I think the way that they're all, you know, Studio Ghibli films are made is they all kind of have this fantasy or semi-supernatural vibe to them, but in a way that, especially this, kind of seems oddly believable and grounded, you know, in some sort of reality that you know will pay off towards the end. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll play a clip and talk about more what I thought about it afterwards. So I'm going to be honest, there isn't a kind of great selection of English-speaking clips to, to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so you probably wouldn't have got a huge amount from that. 
Um, a, because it's quite hard to sum the film up in a clip. It's um, something that you need to kind of invest in and go along with. And it's kind of a long-term character development film, I'd say. Um, the way you were describing it before kind of made me think of Pan's Labyrinth a bit. Kind of like Pan's Labyrinth. The, the film it reminded me most of... Um, actually, it is... In a way, it's it's very like Pan's Labyrinth. In the way you have the reality and the fantasy world, yeah, and they complement each other. And yeah, it's about a young girl who goes off to an alien environment. Yes, um, but in the way that it really empathetically portrays, um, you know, teenagers and especially kind of young and teenage girls, it reminds me a lot of Inside Out. In the way that you know, vacant, mostly vacant, and seemingly moody and temperamental and sometimes rude you know teenagers can be mm. it you know says so, well maybe they're like that for a reason mm-hmm. um and it you know really gets inside Anna's head um and you really you know you really feel you're totally invested in her and you get her and you're motivated by her mm-hmm. so in that way I, I think it really reminded me of inside out um you know not in the kind of the whole premise literally way. getting inside her head yeah not, not literally getting inside <laughs> her head you know, there's some kind of mental monologue, not overbearing at all, um, and you know she kind of sometimes thinks aloud a bit. It's, it's a kids' film. You need some, you need more exposition than you would do mm. in what is ostensibly a kids' film. But I enjoyed it. On you know, it it could well have not been marketed to children at all. Yeah, okay. uh, for me, um, it's I think beautifully animated. We watched the clip and you said you thought it looked like Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, I um, mean, it's just I don't know the character just looked. Yeah, bit like... no, no, there's a certain you know anime Japanese aesthetic to it but it, you know it reminds you of the the old Disney films and the kind of the beauty of kind of hand-drawn animation yeah, as much as yeah. much as I love Pixar I really appreciate the dedication to mm. that art form mm. um, and it's in the and then credits the kind of they roll the credits with um, you know images from the film that look like they were just sketches that must have taken hours absolutely yeah well, to, to do that frame by frame. I think when you have to put in that kind of work to create the film, just mm. on, a phys- on a physical level, it increases the love with which the film is made. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Rather yeah. than just pitching up with a camera and a load of A-list actors. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I would say so, definitely. Um, I, I think it's really... I mean, for, for me, it was an, like an oddly uh, personal film. You know, I'm a 21-year-old guy. Uh, why, you know, not a huge amount of me... For, to be empathised with a 15-year-old Japanese girl. Exactly. Um, not your target, not the target audience. No, not, not the target audience. Um, but or... then, as we've already said, I mean, I think when films are made with a target audience, they're often really terrible. Yeah, it's, oh, this is good, but what's their, demograph- what's their demographic? Yeah, because it, it, quote, skews it, it skews it, um, and it just kind of makes it feel like it's just planning to extract money from that, those particular exactly. people. Exactly. Like, Mother's films. Day, go and watch this film. It's for mothers. It's not for mothers. It's not for anybody. No, and I've watched <laughs> Studio Ghibli films. No, I, I've seen a huge amount of them and I want to watch more of them after seeing this. I don't think it ever made with that in mind mm. that let's market it this to kids or this certain, you know, 12 to 14 year old girls. Because that's, um, kids don't like being talked down to. No, not at all. And it's um, about a different side of personality that Anna discovers about herself um, and who she could be and relaxes and um, both about herself and her past and you know I don't I don't want to spoil it too much hmm. um, but I think it's a film that people will get a lot out of and I, several points of the film and I, what I haven't really had in a while is you know I had tears in my eyes and I was walking out 
the the credit. I'll save for a bit of the credits and we'll get the credits. There was a woman sitting down there watching it. She's all on her own and she was you know, just wiping away. Really? On the eyes, yeah. Okay. I think I might go gonna go and watch it. I feel like I need to I feel like I need to wash after watching Mother's Day. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I need to bathe in something good. Yeah, it's it's quite an odd film in a way. You kind of need to invest and you at first are like, oh this is kind of weird. Hmm. But you get it and kind of as the characters understand what's going on you can't understand what's going on. I think um, I think with those kind of films where you have that reality and um, fantasy crossover, it's mm. really important to have a central character that you can anchor yourself on because yeah. so, so much of whether you believe the transitions between the worlds rely on that central performance. Do yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I saw a clip of a, um, a YouTuber who uh, my girlfriend watches who is involved in the film kind of making process and she produces one kind of film... Um, a month, but she also talks about filmmaking as well because she's involved in it. Yeah, and she's talked about how she saw this film and how you know often talk about like strong female characters. But what does that mean? And some people think it means just like literally badass women who can no. beat people up and are you know crazy strong, sassy. What you know what actually strong female characters means is more than two dimensional. You know, exactly. uh, a flawed, interesting character you can get behind and you can relate to um, and I think that is actually all too rare and then you know films where women do helmet or in genres where they do helmet like rom-coms like with Mother's Day you know three women on the poster but you know Ivan's in the film but you said they're all two-dimensional Anna yeah. is completely three-dimensional and you're completely invested in her and she's flawed and you don't always like her because she looks like a it, real person but damn it you feel really empathetic towards her and you're rooting for her hmm. rather than People who just don't exist in the real world. Yeah. And if they do exist, I frankly don't want to know them. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's just, yeah, it's just an insult. Um, it's so, it's, it's kind of good in a way that we've watched these films, you know, and they seem to be at opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. One, totally respectful and really interesting investigation into self-discovery, childhood, you know, and womanhood. Mm. Other ends, just no interest in that, you know, just there to make money. Mm. Um I think it would make an in- interesting companion piece to Inside Out in the way that, you know, one's Studio Ghibli, one's Pixar, one's you know, Western, one's um, anime, but kind of dealing with the same kind of issues mm. and the same types of characters. <clears throat> It'd be interesting to see what Mark Kermode thought of it, because mm. um, he's, he, Inside Out was his favourite film of last year. Yeah. So, um, and I think, yeah, I think, he pretty, I think he liked this one as well. I saw a tiny clip. So we'll have to check that out. Yeah. Okay, fantastic, Joe. Well, you've actually persuaded me. I think I might go and watch that this week. I thoroughly recommend it. Okay, fantastic. So um, that's the new releases done. Uh, coming up, we'll be going on to Marmite movies. So a clash coming on Goodwill Hunting, starring very early performance from Matt Damon. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, the whole crew. Yeah. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Everyone's a Critic. So, uh, new releases out of the way and we're now going to move on to our Marmite Movies section. Love it or hate it. Um, up for debate today is Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, so this is a film that, in a lot of people's kind of favourite films, falls into. And I was going, you know, me and someone sharing off. I was kind of compiling what I thought were my top ten favourite films. Not maybe necessarily the best films ever made, but 
films that I really love. Mm. And I put down Goodwill Hunting, and Samuel was like, oh, for goodness sake, <laughs> why, is everyone's, why, why do people love this film? I, th- I think that's my central problem. I mean, we were discussing, you know, being such great film critics that we are, and having such similar views because... Um, you know, we're so in tune with each other. There's not a yeah. huge number of movies that I hate that you love mm. and that you love that I hate. I think Twilight was a, a perfect one yeah. because we were very, very divided on that. Uh, but yeah, my central problem with Good Will Hunting is that it, it falls into so many people's top tens and I really, I just, I really don't get it, to be honest. Um, you know, Carl Ross, who's in charge of marketing for us, it's one of his favourite films of all time. I watched yeah. it on his recommendation about five years ago. And it just didn't have any sort of emotional impact on me. And, it, you know, it was fine. The performances were all right. You know, I think Matt Damon's been, had better performances since then. Um, but everyone just bangs on about it. And I just don't, I just don't get it. Okay. So, um, well, yeah, I, I, as I already said, <laughs> one of my favourite films. So, for those of you who haven't seen it, I assume most of you probably have seen it. Um, it's about Will Hunting. Um, who is you know, Boston, a guy from Boston, South Boston, who's you know probably around 20, 21, um, you know, who you know is a bricklayer and um, you know hangs out with his friends in bars and leads a pretty simple life, but it was also um, a cleaner at MIT, which is you know one of the most prestigious universities in the world, mm-hmm. uh, and is in that kind of cluster within Boston, you know, with Harvard and. Yale and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so he's a cleaner there, and Stellan Sasgard, who's a maths professor, and puts up this um, these really difficult maths equations where he says, you know, whoever solves this will win the prize. Um, so he puts up it on a blackboard in the hall, and um, Matt Damon sees it, solves it, um, and eventually Stellan Sasgard finds out it's this random cleaner and tries to take him under his wing. Um, yeah, and I, I won't go too much further than that. He tries to, yeah, but uh, he tries to give him. A, he tries to persuade him to take a job because he's so talented. Yeah, because he's essentially a, a genius, maths a genius. maths genius. Um, but because he, you know, lives a sort of double life and being really rough and just getting pissed with his mates. Yeah, and it's quite a difficult character, really. And you know, he's on parole. He have they bring in Robin Williams, who's a shrink, who's friends with Stellan Sarsgaard, yeah. to sort of bring him round to what he should be doing with his life rather yeah. than what he seems to be doing with his because life. Because part of his parole condition is that he'll go see a therapist yeah. um, and al- along with doing this tutoring with Tom Sarsgaard. Um, and, you know, the, the plot develops around Matt Damon and Robert Williams' relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll play, you know, a short clip from uh, Matt Damon talking to a quite uppity Harvard um Student in a bar. How'd you like that course? You know, frankly, I found the class, you know, rather elementary. Elementary? Yeah. You know, I don't doubt that it was. Yeah. I, uh, I remember that class. It was, um, it was just between recess and lunch. Clark, why don't you go away? Why don't you relax? Why don't you go away? I'm just having fun with my new friend, that's all. Wait, we could have a problem? No, 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 there's no problem here. I was just hoping you might give me some insight into the evolution of the market economy in the southern colonies. My contention is that uh, prior to the Revolutionary War, the economic modalities, especially in the southern colonies, 
could most aptly be characterized as agrarian pre-capital. All right, of course that's your contention. You're a first-year grad student. You just got finished reading some Moxian historian, Pete Garrison, probably. You're going to be convinced of that till next month when you get to James Lemon. Then you're going to be talking about how the economies of Virginia and Pennsylvania were entrepreneurial and capitalist way back in 1740. That's going to last until next year. You're going to be in here regurgitating Gordon Wood talking about, you know, the pre-revolutionary utopia and the capital-forming effects of military mobilization. Well, as a matter of fact, I won't, because Wood drastically underestimates the impact Wood of social... Wood drastically underestimates the impact of social distinctions predicated upon wealth, especially inherited wealth. You got that from Vickers. Work in Essex County, page 98, right? Yeah, I read that, too. Were you going to plagiarize the whole thing for us? Do you have any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? Or do you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own as your own idea just to impress some girls, embarrass my friend? So that was a clip um, <clears throat> where you know, Matt Damon sees his friend... Um, ben you know, Affleck. Ben Affleck, who some Harvard douche is trying to embarrass and also trying to pick up a girl. And he's like, you know, I know a bit about this subject. Why don't I step in? Um, and I think, you know, that clip is something that I really like about the film. And I get it's perhaps a kind of a little cliched and like, oh, yeah, you know, working class guy standing up and showing he's intelligent as well. That's but awesome, I, yeah. but it makes me smile. It makes me like, yeah, it's, it's a film that um, I think takes something that in a lot of hands would be cliched and very run of the mill but makes it feel a bit more special. I think Matt Damon's delivery um, he makes it seem like he, you know, this is a guy who genuinely does know his stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think Matt Damon's central performance is is, is really good. Mm. And, you know, there's some... You would have some actors playing that part and you'd say, what, Ryan Reynolds, a math genius? Don't believe that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or some other actor, um, mm. you know, just don't buy that they're that intelligent mm. and you you do appreciate you know that Matt Damon in the film you know you appreciate the character and he looks he plays someone who seems to be at that level of intelligence but the problem I have is this is that it, it is just so seems just so simplistic and so run-of-the-mill and just extremely predictable in terms of its plot and you know that cliche of you know, he's a rough guy, but he's a really clever guy as well. Do you know what I mean? Just, I guess, just kind of really annoy. Just there's something about that that really annoys me, and and I don't see why a film that just takes that through its logical steps is some remarkable piece of work that is somehow everyone's, you know, because it takes what should be a simple story. Um, I think makes so much more of it that the way he is contrasted with his friends. Um, you know, they are just kind of layabouts or, you know, especially he's an underachiever and the parallels that he has with Robin Williams' character. You know, maybe they are a little overplayed, but you say good performance by Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. Yeah. I think Robin Williams at the peak of his powers. Um, you know, he won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for this. Yeah, I know. Um, and, you know, so, oh, you think it's schmaltzy and very run-of-the-mill. Mm. So you didn't feel anything in the scene with the park bench where he sits him down and he goes on that monologue and he's like, but you know what, I'll just leave you to think about what I just said. No. Did, did, did you watch that and you were like, oh, whatever, I've seen that a million times before. No, I wasn't like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't really care. I wasn't like, oh, whatever. I was just kind of... I was like, yeah, that makes sense within the plot and, you know, I, 
I kind of know what's going to happen now. I I don't know. Look, mate. I I to be honest, I don't know why. You know, it didn't uh, didn't hit me. Um, I think I th- I thought there was a kind of more interesting film possibly in there. I thought the the whole thing about him being a genius, but there didn't really seem to be much explanation of in his past of why this would be the case or why he had read all these you know amazing books. Um, you know, I felt that it could have been more interesting a film if it had talked about how he'd come to this point rather than where he goes from here. I thought the whole therapy thing between him and Robin Williams was, you know, dare I say it, it was, it was, it was still quite surface. It was like he was, uh, you know, he had troubles with his parents, uh, therefore he has commitment issues, therefore he pushes people away. I thought it was just no, going but, through but those it's... motions rather than showing that it was just kind of like. Analyzing it and just feeding back to the viewer, like you know, what his psychological state was at each point in the film, which I found a bit annoying. No, but it, you know, you say in Mother's Day, um, when Ghost Kate Hudson says, "Yeah, I have commitment issues. I can't marry Jack Whitehall." Exactly. This is a whole process. You know, he goes through five different therapists because he. You know, he just passed them off because he's not actually ready to do it. So I don't think it is just a, oh, hi, Robin Williams. The reason I can't commit to this girlfriend I no. have and, you know, this amazing future I have ahead of me is because I don't really trust myself. No, I, I don't want to ex- extend myself. It's, it's not in the same, no, it's not, I would never suggest it was in the same realms of, you know, Mother's no. Day in but that, I, I in that respect, also, I but I, I still think it's somewhere in the middle. And I think there's better films which explore psychological states of mind. Um, you know, in terms of those kind of issues, explore it in a more interesting way than this. I just think it's it's. You, would you deny it's quite accessible? It's quite an accessible. Portrayal, I think it's accessible, I think. but what's wrong with being accessible? Because it means you have to do less work, and when you have to do work in a film, it invests you more in the characters than when something is given to you easier. But and I, that's I why you feel so invested. Okay, I think it's accessible in the way that I think most people could watch it and enjoy it and understand it, but I don't think it's accessible in the way that it just washes over you and you feel nice afterwards. I, I felt invested in Will. So what do you think about the romance between him and Minnie Driver? That's, again, I really... I, I, again, it's not even like a critical comment. Minnie Driver just really annoys me in that really? film for some oh. reason. There's something about it being, you know, she's down with the boys, you know, and she can sit around with them having a beer, you know, and Matt Damon's never come across someone like that before, you know. All that just kind of... I don't, I don't, I, again, I, I'm not sure why, but it just kind of grated with me for some reason. And something about her accent, this just... There's something about the fact that she's got a British accent uh, in a film where everyone's American. It really stood out for me. And for some reason, her voice really pissed me off. And that is just that is a completely ridiculous thing to say on a critical show because it has no critical value whatsoever. From an English person. Yeah, but I absolutely did not buy into the romance at all. And, I, you know, I'm serious about that. Um, and, that, again, that was a central problem for the film. For me, and is that I wasn't, I didn't not even, I just wasn't, I didn't believe in the relationship. I just didn't, just didn't buy into it um, emotionally. Just as I didn't really invest in the relationship between him and um, Robin Williams emotionally, you know. I didn't think it was portrayed badly, it just mm. didn't catch me. Okay, well I think we, we clearly connected on, or didn't connect on, on different wavelengths to the film. Yeah. I, I think it's something that is genuinely... You know, life affirming. I, 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 it's a film I've seen quite a few times, and I, I watch it. So you just come to out feel, feeling life affirmed. 
Yeah. Like hugely life affirmed. Like room style life affirmed. Very different to room. Um, but yeah, honestly. And you, you have a, a smirk on your face like, I can't believe this guy's just, saying it I to just me. can't believe it. I really can't. I just, yeah. It's, maybe I need to watch, you know, maybe I should watch it again. But I remember it quite well. And I remember my feeling, you know. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? With, with films, often you might not remember the plot. But you remember how you feel after a yeah. film. Do you know what I mean? That, oh, yeah. That, that feeling never really leaves you. Yeah. Um, and I remember how I felt after watching it. And it's just not in, it's not in line with how other people have felt. And I completely, you know, respect that. Um, and again, I, I do not think it's a bad film. Ah, you know, in a way, I'm jealous because I like, you know, I love to connect with films on mm. that level, and unfortunately, that wasn't the case for me on this one. Okay, but there we go. I mean, we can agree to we, can, we, we agree to disagree. Yeah, it's not even a disagreement because I don't think it's a bad film. Mm. It's just a differing in emotional response. Yeah. Um, what is funny, and this will be another what he's in that as well. So, you know, I was talking earlier about the various therapists that Matt Damon goes through. Yeah. Um, and I, he, one of the therapists in another film, I was like, oh, what do I recognise him from? George Plimpton. Yeah. Is one of the therapists. Was also one of the journalists you see throughout When We Were Kings. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. The one who, you know, one granting, yeah, who, who he suggests is gay, basically. Right, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And he goes, no more messing around, no more ballyhoo. <laughs> so we're about to review that. Yeah, about to review when we were kings. When we were kings, okay. Um, so fun bit of trivia for you: George Plimpton, both a sports writer and apparently part-time actor. Coming up in when we were kings. Yeah. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Everyone's a Critic. So, for, I'd say, the the classic... Would you say put this falls into a classic feature or documentaries feature? Documentaries. Documentaries? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, we saw When We Were Kings. And actually, um, I realised after I saw this, we've done a few boxing films. The first classic when we, film we did was Rocky, in that's our first ever episode. That's right, actually. I saw Mr. Calzaghi, which was a boxing documentary. Have you seen Creed? I haven't seen Creed. No, I haven't seen Creed. Oh, apparently either. Creed is really good, actually. Yeah, I'd like to watch that. Um, and, you know, after Muhammad Ali passed away um, a couple of weekends ago. Yes. Wasn't that, was it last weekend? Uh, no, I think it was the weekend before weekend that. Weekend before that. Yeah, it's uh, fairly fresh in everyone's mind. Fairly fresh in everyone's mind. Um, and, you know, a colleague of mine said, oh, you know, I, I saw um, When We Were Kings. Hmm. Um, and I know I really enjoyed it. And, I, you know, I'm not kind of a huge... I know my mate said to watch it, and I wasn't a huge boxing fan, but I, I liked it. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give that a watch. Hmm. Um, and I think it's the best one of those three films. Right, okay. For me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for, for those who don't know about it, the film is a documentary made in 1996, Yeah, I that's, that's correct, yeah. Um, which won Best Documentary Feature at the Oscars, based around... The Rumble in the Jungle, which is the fight between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman in 1974, which took place in Zaire, now known as the Democratic, Democratic Republic, Republic of Congo, Congo, or Dr. Congo. Um, <laughs> Who calls it Dr. Congo? Me. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Rumble in the Jungle, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Congolese Jungle. 
Um, and I think what's, what's interesting and what you realise about this film, for people who weren't around at the time and don't know a huge amount about boxing, is it's most people think like, oh, you know, they would hard find it to imagine an underdog film based around Muhammad Ali being the underdog. Yeah, okay. Um, I can see that. But, you know, actually, and you know, I'm sure you'll attest to this, it, that's basically what it is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I said to Joe, I didn't know the... I actually didn't know the outcome of the fight. Um, yeah. I kind of had an inkling of what might happen, but I genuinely... The jury was out. And what it does really well is um, throughout sort of all the... All the footage of Muhammad Ali saying mm. how well he's going to do, you know... Um, if you think the world was shocked when Nixon resigned, wait till like, I kick George Foreman's behind. You know, he yes. has these great rhymes. Yeah. Um, so they have footage of um, him you know, getting really upbeat about how he's going to beat George Foreman. But at the same time, they have all this footage of uh, boxing critics at the time saying, I just don't know how he's going to beat George Foreman. Yeah. George Foreman is a beast. You know, Muhammad Ali is a fantastic boxer. But, you know, he's past his prime. Yeah. And, and it's this, just not going to happen. There's this really great bit where it almost seems like the guy's doing a victory about him. Like, we will remember Muhammad Ali as a great fighter and as a, an orator and as a family man. Yeah, but yeah. he will not win this match. Exactly. <laughs> and, and throughout, to ramp up the pressure almost and to, to set it in your mind that this is a real underdog situation, mm. they have that footage and that really um, serves to ramp up the pressure. Yeah. Um, and kind of build the excitement and the tension uh, so that when the fight actually arrives, you're, like, really pumped up for it. I mean, I said I watched it when I was really hungover yeah. in bed and I was still really excited to, you know, couldn't wait for the fight to start. Yeah, and I think the thing they, they do well is, A, the, the, the two journalists they have throughout the film commenting you know, in, in the 90s, but thinking back on their experiences, who are uh, James Norman Mailer. And as I mentioned before, George Plimpton, mm -hmm. uh, who also plays a small part in Good Will Hunting, mm -hmm. um, talking about it there at the fight, about, you know, what George Foreman was like. And I think one of the most illuminating bits of it was, you know, we think of George Foreman now as kind of a nice, cuddly guy who sells us fantastic oven-top grills. Um, but they show clips of him, the bit where he's fighting Joe Fraser, and it is terrifying. Oh, he's he a... is taking him apart. Oh, my God, yeah. He is like, you know... Muhammad Ali is like a tall, lean, ripped guy, but George Foreman is... He's an animal. He's an animal. He's like he a is, bear. He's enormous, and he's big, and he's scary, mm. and you know, and he's and he's much younger. He's, I think he must be about 10 years younger or so. Yeah. Um, and the footage of him punching like this punch bag repeatedly, yeah. and basically just leaving a massive dent in the bag. Yeah, going in on the heavy bag. That hard, going in on the heavy bag. I mean, that was quite shocking. And you could imagine, like, Ali's body being put through that. And you were like, yeah. you know, even I'm thinking, you know, great as he was, he's not going to be able to beat George Foreman. No, no, not at all. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think we should, should play a quick clip. Yeah. Um, I think it shows off, you know, Ali at, at his finest. I've done something new for this fight. I murdered a rock, injured a stone. Hospitalize a brick. I'm so mean I make medicine sick. Too fast! You're too fast! The king is going home to get his throne. Yeah, when I get to Africa, we're gonna get it on because we don't get alone. So we try to get the champions of the sports world, champions of the music world. Yeah, it was handsome, it was articulate, it was funny, it was whooping ass too. <laughs> 
George Foreman was a phenomenon. The big bad monster and no one can whoop him. We're gonna fly in the air till we get to Zaire. This chump has got everybody scared. They thought he would take one of the world's worst beatings ever, and he wouldn't give up. Scared of what? So that was a, a short clip, and it opens with, you know, a fantastic bit, you know, um, injured a, they killed us, was it? I murder, murder a rock. Injured a stone. <laughs> uh, hospitalized a brick, I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. Yes. Which, you know, one of those snippets of his little ad-lib, um... There's quite, know, a, there's quite a lot of those. There's quite a little, little ad-libbing. He had a um, lot of rhymes. He had a lot of rhymes. He's basically a puppet. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah he was a sort of larger-than-life character, in Complete, a way. Completely larger-than-life. And, you know, you hear all these obituaries about him. Um, and one of the more interesting ones I saw, not on this film, is that he, they, he really... The in- journalists they interviewed him saying he really hoped they didn't sanit... They, people wouldn't sanitise. Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this what that's what makes this film great is he is like this ridiculous over the top character, mm. um, but he is so magnetic. Yeah. You know, the, so the film is based around you know the fight and lots of footage of him and George Foreman, but also around this music festival they're organising at the same time with BB King and James Brown, mm-hmm. um, and also the fact that I had no idea about this that the prize money was Zairean public money. You yeah, know, put forward by President Mobutu. Um, yeah, Mobutu Seri Seiko. Yeah, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong as well. President Mobutu. Yeah, oh. who's dictator? Who was ruler of Zaire from 1965 to 1997? I didn't realise it was that long. Yeah, and uh, a guy kind of in the model of people like Idi Amin and um, Robert Mugabe. Robert Mugabe, yeah. You know, quite you know, brutal African dictator. Offered, kind of very personality cult. Offered $10 million in prize money yeah. in order to get the fighters to come over and have it in Zaire. Basically as a big tourist thing. And exactly. it, you know, it probably was the biggest sporting spectacle of the decade. Yeah, you would imagine, especially given yeah, the outcome as well. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's... It's a really... Um, interesting also they talk about the boxing organisers and Don King I don't know if you know a huge amount about boxing I, I looked it up a bit afterwards so you know Don King these days is a very controversial figure um, and he's someone who's basically credited with ruining Mike Tyson's career I think Mike Tyson is also responsible for that really um, <laughs> but as a very Machiavellian someone say sociopathic um, type guy he's completely in it for himself and will turn boxes on themselves just to make a bark and to promote himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in this, and now I think it's George Plimpton who's saying it. You know, he's one of the most charming, most intelligent people he's ever Hospitable, met. Hospitable, hospitable, yeah. but also one of the most ruthless. Absolutely. But you know, it shows him when he's up and coming, and he puts everything on the line mm. to to put this huge sporting spectacle on. So lots of people who are rep- whose reputations are riding on the line for this. Mm. You know, you've got the Zaire president. You've got Muhammad Ali who. Um, people forget yeah, he was banned from boxing for three years after he refused to go to Vietnam, Vietnam stripped yeah. of his title yeah, yeah. You know, so he came back to the sport as an older man mm. uh, so his reputation George Foreman who's defending the world championship belt who you know, just beat Joe Fraser um, you know you've got all these different people whose reputations on the line so that just builds up Attention yeah. as well, and I think uh, like what you said at the beginning, where your friend said to you, "I'm not really into boxing much, um, but I really liked this." You know, mm. that is that is what great documentaries do, really, don't they? They mm. take a subject that is quite um, 
quite narrow and, you know, try and make it appealing to a much wider audience. And mm. I found it, you know, suddenly I was really interested in boxing. I was like watching fights on YouTube after watching it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. that's what it makes you does. And that is the sign that the documentary is working. Um, and yeah, I, th- I thought the fight scenes were done, you know, obviously they use like original footage uh, mm. interspersed with critics talking about it. And I actually even got into the kind of tactics of what was going on in the fight. And that they explain that really well to non-boxing fans exactly. of what is going on. It's not a film that shies away from the technicalities of the sport. No, but because at the same time, audience. Uh, for a word you use as maybe a criticism, it makes it accessible. Yes, but I think documentaries... Need to be. Need to be accessible. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the um, purpose. You know, whether he's talking about, was it the right hand... Um, oh, right hand yeah. show or something like that? Uh, I can't remember, but it's basically when you throw a right punch... Uh, uh, across your body without protecting yourself, basically. Yeah, and, and you know, you're showing the, your opponent exactly what you're doing about a second before you throw it. And it's really disrespectful yeah. because no one would ever throw one uh, at a pro player because it's just such a, a pro boxer because it's such a stupid yeah. thing to do. Especially the world champion. Open. Yeah, so he, <laughs> Ali comes out versus the world champion, just throws one of these punches within the first like, 30 seconds. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Really cool to watch. Um, one side criticism was the, the weird photo montage at the end with the music I thought was a bit overdone. I was like, yeah. oh, this is a really good film, what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd already seen enough footage, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it kind of ended pretty well before that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I really enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it shows off the very best of Muhammad Ali. And when he's not, no, the whole film is really good, but when he's not on screen, you want him to be. Yeah. You know, he's completely magnetic, all his, you know... And I think, the uh, way well, I described it as well, as also his, his ad-libbing, you love it. You love it when he's just, you know, spieling off kind of stupid little poems and yeah. little rhymes. Um, and he does that great ad-libbing, but you watch other people try and do it, and it's really annoying and grating, and like, why are you trying to do this? Yeah. I, you know, I'm comparing them to make a contrast. Donald Trump. Um, you see him at his speeches and he'll just go on some random spiel and try and get the crowd going in some sort of crazy bigotry further. Yeah. But I watch that, I'm like, you, you, you just seem like you're rambling and you have no idea where this is going. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's your version of ad-libbing. Yeah. And you want get, to get Muhammad Ali up there. Yeah, you get Muhammad Ali up there and everyone's enamoured and, you know, he's rhyming and he's, you know, he's surprisingly articulate and in the age when we have people like Tyson Fury... Hmm. Um, it's really it's refreshing to see someone like Muhammad Ali. He was a complicated character, you know. He was part of the Nation of Islam yes. for a while. He basically advocated, you know, for black empowerment but segregation. Hmm. Um, yeah, so. no, he was a controversial figure, and they don't dwell on that too much. No, you know, it is a boxing documentary rather yeah. than a political documentary. Yeah. But then again, it doesn't completely ignore that side of it. No, not at all. I mean, he, he does talk about that a bit. Mm. Uh, but also talk about the fact that you know he's very principled and was willing to have his world title stripped away from him. Yes. For his principles. Yes. Um, so I loved it, and it you know it enhanced my ideas and and uh, knowledge knowledge of Muhammad Ali, a great man. Yeah. Recently passed away. Rest yeah. in peace. Rest in peace. Okay, fantastic. I think that concludes this evening's show it does um, I hope everyone enjoyed it and uh, yeah I'm definitely going to be going to watch a very nice film next time um, yeah I, I think you need to following uh, my recent debacle yeah I think you need to step away from Mother's Day and go watch a genuinely fuzzy film Father's Day maybe Father's it's Day it's only a year till Father's Day will be out in a year directed by bloody Gary thingy Marshall Gary Marshall and you can go and watch that 
Yeah. If we're oh. still if we haven't run out of money. <laughs> Please, Please share generously the video. <laughs> Sponsor us, Croucher and Picture House. Cheers guys. Take care. See you next time. Bye.